Welcome to School of Movies. <laughs> Ghost Rider and Ghost Rider the Spirit of Vengeance and The Punisher and The Punisher Warzone and Elektra. Just, I mean, like everything Marvel had left. You should be taking a dirt nap after that ragdoll today. I got lucky. Luck don't cover it, JB. You got an angel looking after you. Maybe it's something else. Story goes that he'll be normal during the day, but at night, in the presence of evil, the rider takes over. Now, this was a 2007 film. It was released just before Marvel suddenly got good. So, again, this is this theoretical dead zone where it actually seemed like comics might be petering out, like all the good characters have been done already and, uh, the, you know, no one was ever going to do a Captain America or a Thor. Yeah, Ghost Rider came out. And this is one of those dark Marvel Knights comics. Uh, one of those uh, characters not made by Stan Lee. One of those characters that concerns himself with the scum of the streets, and which informs upon the movie. Now, it's directed by Mark Steven Johnson, director of that other famous Marvel Knights film that everybody loves, Daredevil. And we actually saw the sequel before this this time round, just to sort of familiarise ourselves with the one we hadn't seen before going back to the one we had. And I'm glad we did. I kind of liked it the, the first time I saw it. It's always been one of those that I have sort of a little bit of a soft spot for. Mm-hmm. It's one of my, I wouldn't quite call it a guilty pleasure, but I never I feel guilt. No, true. Uh, but I definitely have a soft spot. <laughs> hang on, me. hang on. Extends bony finger. Guilty. <laughs> You. <laughs> so, I I like the intro setup. I like the guy who plays the young Johnny Blaze. Although, if he's seventeen, I'm a Dutchman. Maybe he's a bit older. It never actually says how many years elapsed between how, how long it takes for this young Chris Evans-looking type kid to turn into wrinkly old Nick Cage. No, but, but... it would appear to be a shorter period of years between that and between the first and second film. Indeed. Eva Mendes, is it, playing Roxanne? Mm-hmm. Yeah, she states, she says at one point that he was 17 when it all went Really? Yeah. Does yeah, she? She does. Well, then she, uh, the, the actress Eva Mendes, being 10 years younger than Nick Cage... Would have been, yeah, like I said, uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah. So the setup of him basically offering to sell his soul to the devil in order to cure his father's cancer is brief but clear. There is a. Should reasonable. we describe it briefly to the uh, to the people who haven't seen it? Um, it right, if, if you're familiar with the character of Sp- 
Spawn from the 90s. It's Spawn, or rather Spawn is this. I'm fairly certain that most Ghost Rider fans will also have been reading Spawn, and then we'll go, no, oh, there's many, many differences. For example, Ghost Rider has a motorbike. Uh, but no, no, it's a, <laughs> it's, it's, it's a also, guy. Also, he's on fire. In the case of Spawn, he's like a mercenary who did bad things and killed people for a living and thus attracted attention of the devil, Malbolgia, who, when he dies, gives him a chance to come back and see his wife if he will be like the, the head of his armies and gives him, you know, super devil powers. Uh, but uh, he decides to basically turn that back against Malbolgia. In Daredevil, he tries to... Ghost Rider. In Ghost Rider. Well, he's a Daredevil stunt rider. Forgive me. And it's directed by the director of Daredevil. In Ghost Rider, he's a Daredevil stunt rider and his dad is dying of cancer. And so to save him, he makes a deal with the devil to cure his cancer. His dad is cured of cancer and then dies horribly in a crash the next day. And the devil goes, ah, well, I am the devil after all. Peter Fonda's having some fun with this role. Not. <laughs> I don't think... Uh, no, he's really not. He's, he, he seems not miserable <laughs> in his, his role. And uh, he's like, right, now you're going to be like my, uh, my hunter. You're going to hunt down the evil people for me. And I'll call on you in a few years' time when you're Nick Cage. And he does. He it's, does. Not, it's not quite that. It's not about hunting down evil people. The rider collects on the devil's contracts. Uh-huh. So whenever somebody has offered to sell their soul to the devil, when the time comes for their soul to be claimed, the rider is supposed to go and fetch it for him. Okay. So anyway, the plot moves on. Um, Nick Cage is now an adult, sort of. And, uh, you say then- that. Uh, he was going to run away with his girlfriend, Roxanne, when they were kids, but then his father died, and then he turned into this... Well, he, he, he did a deal with the devil, and then he spent the interim... He, he decided not to run away with her. He spent the interim years being evil Knievel. And Cage himself wanted various different affectations uh, for the character, rather than being alcoholic and miserable and dour and, like, all, like, sort of grimdark. He listens to the carpenters, he drinks jelly beans... Uh, out of a, uh, a, a martini glass. He's very kind of cool about everything. He tends to point a lot. Uh, that comes into his character. And uh, and has like a little cane, like a staff that he walks with, just sort of as an affectation. And he's, he's kind of an eccentric character, which is kind of refreshing, considering all the grimdark that usually turns up in these movies. He's He's more cheerful than Peter Parker. That is true, which is a little worrying. Uh, yeah, so the devil comes back and goes, right, I think I'm going to collect on my due now. Why now? Well, just now. Um, and Which rather turn- begs the question, who's been collecting on his contracts all these years? Yeah, because like, there's, the, like, there's always a rider in every generation. And the last rider was this cowboy guy. You, you get this great sort of narration bit at the beginning by Sam Elliott, who's wonderful, wonderful voice. Um, you know, c- can kind of propel any hokey old story along. And, uh, you know, he, he turns out to be the grave digger. With, he, he's got this really hairy face. Like, his cheeks are hairy. It's like he's got a beard, and then it, the beard envelopes his entire face. Um, spoiler alert, he was the ghost rider at the beginning on a horse, and he defied the devil and rode off. And um, then the next generation, 
over a hundred years later. I'm not sure they understand what generation means. Uh, then the next one is um, Johnny Blaze. Unless there have been other riders that we just don't get told about. Very likely. Do they expound on this particular mythology? No. Yeah. Do they do it in the sequel? No. No. Not at all. No. At all. Uh, so, yeah, um, Nick Cage sort of meets Roxanne again. I would say Johnny Blaze. It's sort of a fusion of what Nick Cage wants Johnny Blaze to be and Nick Cage. I, I, I honestly doubt there's much of the Johnny Blaze character from the comics in this. Having Not being a fan of the comics, I would not know. But, yeah, tell us, Ghost Rider fans. Please do. Because some Ghost Rider fans were really pissed off at this. A lot of other Ghost Rider fans, you know, got their Ghost Rider tattoo at some point in the 90s and then thought to themselves, probably better start reading the comics to sort of justify this thing, and then did and found that they were quite good. Or, I don't know, if they carried on being fans, maybe it couldn't have been too bad. And he's sort of been in and out of print ever since then, and in and out of popularity. Probably peaked a little around 2007 and then subsided a little. Um but a lot of Ghost Rider fans were pissed off. Some Ghost Rider fans actually prefer the sequel. I, there's nothing I can say to that. Yeah, well, we'll, we'll come back to that we'll in a minute. We'll come to that in a minute. We'll come to that in a minute. He does... He is a little more restrained than I have seen him of late. He, he never really does a full-on Nick Cage wig out in this or if he does it's when he's going through the transformation into the rider anyway so you can forgive him for doing the nick cage wig out because his head's on fire yeah he is he has that kind of ah, ah, and goes from screaming to cackling with laughter which is kind of his thing now Cage ever being this crazy when I watched his films when I was a kid. You know, I remember him and stuff like Raising Arizona and The Rock and uh, Leaving Las Vegas, where he was very committed and he was very serious about his roles, but he was never like a gibbering maniac. What was the turning point? Was it Face Off? No, I had not seen Vampire's Kiss back in those days, but that came out before all these films I'm talking about. So he was mental ages ago. There is no one else in this entire office that I could possibly ask to share such a horrible job. You're the lowest on the totem pole here, Alva. The lowest. Do you realize that? Every other secretary who's been here has been here longer than you, Alva. Everyone. And even if there was someone here who was here just one day longer than you, I still wouldn't ask that person to partake in such a miserable job as long as you were around. That's right, Alva. It's a horrible, horrible job. Sifting through old contract after old contract. I couldn't think of a more horrible job if I wanted to. And you have to do it. You have to, or I'll fire you. Do you understand? Do you? Don't you want to use your gun? 
But they, they didn't really capitalize on it, you know, because he was in Moonstruck. I think he got, got like Oscar nominated or something like that. And, you know, him being Francis Ford Coppola's nephew certainly didn't hurt to grease the wheels. But, um, but yeah, no, just, just more recently, he, he was, there's this brilliant, you know, let's, let's just play it now, shall we? Nick Cage's agent by College Humor. All right, listen to me. You're Nicolas Cage. No one can ever take that away from you. But after The Sorcerer's Apprentice, Bangkok Dangerous, Knowing, Ghost Rider, Next, Wicker Man, you need to be a little bit more selective about your films, Nicky. Selective, Gary? All right, for example, this just came in today. I've got it right here. You'd be playing a prisoner who asks if he could leave, and the warden says yes. And then I leave? Yeah, that's it. Not a very interesting story. So this is the kind of picture you shouldn't be doing. <laughs> I'm in. What'd you say? I said I'm in. I'm gonna let that one slide, Nick, but your reputation is at stake. You have to be a little bit more discerning. I like being in movies, Gary. I know that you do, but you have to say no to some of them. Like this new one, where the hero is a Nazi who can only speak in adverbs. Let's do it. Wait, no, Nick, come on. Now I want you to think hard about this, okay? You'd be playing Superman. I love it. Let me finish, Superman's cat. You'd be playing Superman's cat. I love it, Gary. And everyone on this bus is vomiting, except for your character, who has diarrhea. Count me in. A raunchy teen sex comedy shot entirely from the waist down. Absolutely. This one is literally a documentary about dandruff directed by M. Night Shyamalan. Oh, perfect. An astronaut gets lost in space and his body implodes, except for his ass, which maintains consciousness and must find its way back to the ship. Brilliant. Oscar Schindler is not an action hero. He is now. People do not want to see an all-white remake of The Color Purple. Sucks for them. In a world where one man's dick hole is a black hole, we... Yep. Jack-o'-lantern comes to life, makes itself a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, and becomes inanimate again. Hell yeah! A lawyer wakes up with his ass where his dick used to be. Cheech Marin has the voice of your ass from the writer of Space Ass. No! Great, Nick. We'll pass on this. We'll get you something better with Sorry, the... my dog was eating my shoelace. Whatever you just said, I'm in. It's the same action movie. They just changed the title to... To Kill a Mockingbird retold so that the black guy really did rape that woman. Why are you doing this? What is wrong with you? You're a madman! All right, listen. This one is a career render. You play a guy who can communicate with dolphins and uses this power to hunt them. Yes. It's a silent movie. Yes. There's a scene in it where you have real, actual sex with a puppy. Yes, yes, yes. And it's not going to be shot on film. It's going to be shot on fruit by the foot. Yes, 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 yes. Nicholas, I'm making this one up. I'm making it up. You can't say yes to it because it doesn't f***ing exist. Well, huh, let's get Bruckheimer on the horn then. No, Nick, I quit. You're a tasteless asshole. What? A tasteless. So, yeah, uh... He meets Roxanne again, tries to rekindle a uh, 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 romance with her, sort of like shows off on his bike, which is fun, and then turns into the rider for the first time in his life. And then he sort of races around, like setting places on fire. And then like Ghost Rider's power is to find the guilty, like, let's face it, rapists. And, uh, you know, people who have assaulted women, grab them by the collar and stare into their eyes. That's his penance stare. And, like, they go, ah! And all the harm they've ever visited on anyone ever is, like, like redoubled back onto them. And then that, that, like, burns their soul out of them, leaving them just, like, uh, uh, like, their eyes smoking piles of ash. Which is kind of fun to watch. 
Although it is troubling if you think about it, because this, just like Frank Miller's comics, and uh, I suppose Daredevil as well, Frank Miller's comics, um, it's it's kind of it's it's very like militant right wing, you know, for for angry teenagers who feel powerless and want to uh, um, enact vengeance upon what they would consider to be the scum on the streets, but can't. And so we Ghost Rider comics and Spawn comics and Daredevil comics and Batman comics, where wherein that happens a lot. The the problem with that though is that it focuses it dehumanizes the actual people that are being considered scum on the streets. Well, it, it, the fact that it focuses on people who are quite literally on the streets. Most of the people who get grabbed tend to be petty criminals. Overly aggressive ones, admittedly. Um, oh, yeah, but, we're not exonerating the scum on the streets. No, not at all. But it tends to be this very stereotypical, uh, alcohol-smelling, didn't shave for the last four days, uh, denim jacket, ripped-sleeved wearing, butterfly-knife-wielding, street thug, who's got one hand round a woman's neck and got her up against a wall and ideally half a bottle of Jack in the other hand. Um, and apparently like a they're caricature the... of a criminal. Exactly. Apparently these are the people who are worthy of the attentions of Ghost Rider who is working for Satan and Batman and the like. Now, <laughs> He's working for Batman? Well, that you were talking about Frank Miller. Well, yeah, again, this same <laughs> stuff turns up in Mark Stephen Johnson's other film, um, yeah. uh, Daredevil. But and Simon Birch. The, the question that I asked, and I, I think this still holds, why is Ghost Rider not going after the multi-million pound executive yeah, sitting kingpin. in his penthouse suite, responsible for the deaths of thousands, if not millions, of people in some backwater country where their factory is poisoning the water? And this is fine within the movie, because he's the only hero in the world, the anti-hero. But in the Marvel Universe, he could go after Thanos! Oh, that would be quite awesome. Or Galactus. He could make Galactus feel the pain of every individual he's ever swallowed. Ah, but Galactus doesn't feel guilty about it. As far as he's concerned, it's it's just food. That's... That's not what the penance stare seems to do, though. It's never it's tested, not- though. It's never explored. It's just binary. You're either guilty or, or you're innocent. He yes, gets locked but- in a cell with a bunch of prisoners, and he like he fries them all, except one kid in the corner who he points at and goes, innocent, also traumatised for life. Yes, indeed. But if you look at what he says and, and how he deals with... Um- uh, where's Bentley at the end? Oh, where's fucking Bentley? He, this? he basically makes him feel the pain of all the souls within him. Uh-huh. So I got the impression that that's how the penance stare works, that it basically makes you feel the pain of all the people you've ever hurt. And nothing to do with guilt. Maybe you may, you may be right, but again, this is uh, it, it's not explored. It's not. No, it's not. <laughs> it's certainly not explained, especially clearly. If you're the sort of person for whom uh, Zero Dark Thirty made you feel very uncomfortable, if you're the sort of person for whom doesn't believe in the death penalty, this film may be troubling to you. If you loved Zero Dark Thirty and you think they didn't go far enough, and if you love the idea of executions then you may like Ghost Rider. I like Ghost Rider, but it's troubling. I didn't find it particularly troubling. I just found it a bit juvenile. 
Yeah, I suppose because they haven't really put much thought into it and they don't, kind of don't want you to think about the whole you know binary thing too much, uh, it, it's just... Um, it's, it's just a, a very, it's feature. a very sim- yeah, it's a very simplistic, uh, semi-adolescent interpretation of what constitutes justice and morals and good and evil, and it's it's kind of easy to dismiss all of that and just look at the entertainment side of the film. Yeah, it reminded me a bit of Highlander. Yes, I can see that. And then Christopher Lambert turned up in the second one, which reminded me of Highlander Two: The Quickening. Ooh, <laughs> which we still haven't finished. Technically, actually, uh, the second one reminded me more of Highlander 3, The Sorcerer. Okay. (laughs) No, actually, because that was relatively good. Maybe it was Highlander 4. Oh, my God. There's a Highlander 4? There's like a Highlander 5. Good grief. Um, Well, one of the things that the first film has, which the second film doesn't have, is the character of Roxanne. Mm -hmm. And I really quite liked the way she was presented because in her younger incarnation she's she seems quite idealistic quite naive she's obviously you know very desperately in love with johnny and it's first love they're 16 17 and they're all swept away in the um in the the power of it and her dad doesn't want her to see him because she thinks he's he he thinks that Johnny's just this going nowhere Carney who's very young no good for her. Exactly. Thing, yeah. So she comes up with this idea of them running away, or I think Johnny suggests it and she goes along with it. But then when you see her when she's older, it's not brilliant the way she's presented, but it's a damn sight better than the vast majority of female characters, especially mm. in superhero movies. She has a she career, actually, she's trying to be professional. Exactly. And she she's actually there are layers to her. There's this brilliant scene where uh, they've arranged to meet up for a date they're going to meet at her hotel so she goes down to the restaurant and gets a table and sits there and waits for him and it's cutting back to him transforming into the rider so you know why he's not turning up but then it cuts back to the restaurant where she's it's all done relatively non-verbally you've got her sitting there sort of nervously looking at her phone Mm. and then the waiter comes to pour her some wine and then um, a couple of uh, shots later it's obviously later in the evening and she's kind of urging the waiter to pour more wine and there's a great um, bit where she goes you think i'm pretty don't you and then the waiter who's been professional all night goes "Eh." (laughs) which is great but it, it gets across this idea that she's She's insecure, you know. She's not this uh, magnificent, fragrant-smelling blast from his past that's come to solve all his problems and and save him from all the horror going on in his life. She's a human being, and she's messed up and and uncomfortable and and has been left with some issues from him disappearing, although she does her best to say to him, you know, I understand why. Your father had just died. You weren't thinking straight. I don't blame you. But... It just her reactions seem very human and very real, and for that reason, they are very funny. Unfortunately, this is all dispensed with about two thirds into the film when she simply becomes kidnapped oh, victim number three. Yeah, Th- that's ridiculous. The um, the villain in this one is played by Wes Bentley, he of American Beauty and Four Feathers. Uh, he's Blackheart, the son of the devil. Uh, if you ever played Marvel vs. Capcom 2, he was that sort of like big shadowy predator-looking guy. Uh, he just sort of he, he just oozes around the place, acting smug and trying to be threatening. And he is one of the worst Marvel villains uh, on screen. He, he's just dull. Not even worth talking about. However, one of his henchmen, 
I don't even know what it's called. Old Drippy or something. He's basically moist from uh, Doctor Horrible. He has the power to be wet. He's a ridiculous, like, wet demon. And he looks a bit like old Greg. Yeah, he's old Greg. And uh, he, he catches Ghost Rider and yanks him down under the water. And then Ghost Rider goes, fooled you! And then, like, incinerates him underwater, which doesn't make any sense. One of the best aspects of the movie, I don't even think was intentional, but after Johnny's been riding around the place on his motorbike and, like, frying people's brains, and um, uh, Rebel Wilson, who you may remember from Bridesmaids as uh, uh, Kristen Weig's unpleasant British roommate, um, turns up as, like, a goth girl who uh, he saves from a mugger and a rapist or or both, and... um, there's these two police officers sort of trying to search down who's this crazy guy riding around on a bike on fire. And they think it might be Johnny because he rides around, you know, he's, he's a, he's a daredevil, uh, stunt cycle guy. And, you know, he doesn't have an alibi and blah. And they're like badgering him. And one of them's really grumpy and it's the mask. It's the mask. He may as well be Stanley Ipkiss. And there's a point where they like the all the police co- corner Ghost Rider and like hold uh, like pull their guns on him, and it would have been incredible if he'd broken out in Cuban Pete. Because, like, I mean, his face, albeit on fire, isn't a million miles away from the mask. So that was just a weird parallel. It was. Um, It's a little strange. And probably the best part of the film if not for the almost Cuban Pete bit, uh, is actually when Sam Elliott goes, right, we got a ride to San Costanza, or whatever the hell it's called, Sodom and Gomorrah of the West, like this cowboy town which exists out in the Arizona desert or something like that. We've got a ride across, and I've got one more ride left in me. Not two, not none, but one. I've got one left. I can only go with you this far, and only because it looks cool. And so they do. They just ride across the fucking planes and it plays this piece of music. Let's ride.
lingering beat of um, Knights of Cydonia. So yeah, I mean, the, the film is daft but enjoyable. It's at the middle bottom of the uh, uh, Marvel movies, the, the 30-odd that have come out so far, for me. Um, but it's better than a lot of other ones. It's not as bad as Elektra. My God, no. Elektra, for me, is at the very, very bottom. Uh, Ghost Rider is uh, still better for me than Blade Trinity, The Punisher, Spirit of Vengeance, Punisher Warzone, and Elektra. Okay, so Ghost Rider, Spirit of Vengeance. Oh. There's good and bad in all of us. It doesn't matter how far you run. There are some demons you just can't escape. I need your help. This child is in danger. I don't save people. If you don't help, the devil will have a new form, one more powerful than he's ever known. And a shadow will fall upon the earth. Save the boy and lift your curse. I've made a lot of mistakes. But Danny's the one good thing I ever did. That being the case, we better make sure he doesn't turn out to be the Antichrist. There's nothing to say about this film. There's certainly it, nothing good to say about this film. This film could not be bothered. If you were on fire and this film had an entire bag of fucks and one fuck would put you out, this film would not give a fuck. Massive budget cut. This one's 57 million. The original Ghost Rider was 110 million. Uh, Nick Cage, who wore a wig in the first one, and it pretty well blended. It was like dark black, and he looked like a relatively sort of middle-aged to to young man, has abandoned that entirely and looks like a wreck. He just looks just awful. And you'd think, oh, that would be good because they'll play into that. He'll be like, you know, this time he drinks, this time he's mad and sour. And he's just dull. He's just really, really tedious. There's a kid who the devil, who's now been recast as Kieran Hines because Peter Fonda, although apparently he did want to come back and do Ghost Rider 2 and God knows why. Um, he was like green screened in at the end of Ghost Rider 1. Um but, uh, yeah, Kieran Hines is now the devil now, and he wants to get hold of a little boy named Dan Ketch. Now, Dan Ketch was the Ghost Rider who came after Johnny Blaze in the comics, so he was the 90s Ghost Rider. You would think they would make this film about Nick Cage passing his Ghost Rider abilities on to another young actor, possibly a crazy young actor. I don't know, off the top of my head, Matthew Lillard. Anybody as mental as Nick Cage to possibly carry on this film series. Because Nick Cage had no interest in doing any more afterwards. But no, the kid's a kid. And aside from a bit where he and the Ghost Rider share a discussion about that, like, um, Ghost Rider likes to piss fire like a flamethrower, there's no real connection between the two. He, he, he mutters stuff to the kid's mum in a truck. They're sort of trying to drive away from him. The guy who played AJ in Empire Records is chasing them for some reason. The devil turns him into a character named Blackout, not Blackheart. Don't get the two confused. They're both as boring as each other. Uh, the uh, makers of the film went on to say that they kind of took the, the name and the appearance of Blackout, but didn't really focus on the powers of the character. No, no shit. There is no character to this film. It's just tedious. Somehow... Idris Elba is in this film and makes the best with what he has. 
He's, it's just like when he was in Prometheus. He's like, you know, there's nothing really here for me to work with, but I'm just going to be me. And uh, he just has a little fun, does a little improv, um, talks about wine. He has a he has an outrageous French accent. And uh, you'd think that would be the best bit. No, 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 no. The best bit comes up about 33 minutes in. And it's around the point, about the point that you're just about to nod off. And Nick Cage has been sleepwalking his way through this movie. And he plays kind of good cop, bad cop with a guy he's trying to get information out of. He's, he basically starts to turn into the, the rider and going, Oh, you talk character. I talk to a lot of people. Hey, I got what you need for those shakes, my friend. Kerrigan must have told me about that thing that killed his men last night, huh? Yeah? That thing is inside of me. See, you're a bad man. And this thing, the writer, he feeds on Batman and he's hungry. He's hungrier than he's been years and that's why I'm shaking. Because right now, the only thing standing between you and the writer is me. And he's just... He's, uh, he's scraping at the door. Scraping at the door. Uh, uh, uh. All right, if you don't tell me what I want to know, I'm going to let him out. Uh. Uh. What is done with you? There won't be anything left. Do you understand? Do you understand? Shake your head yes or no. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Good, good girl. Where's Kerrigan? What the kid? The kid can't You will tell me I would eat just take it so the Lord of God's poor man is putting together a goddamn army. I know the place. Oh, you're not going to mention this conversation to anyone, are you? No. Oh, oh. oh, yeah. All right, that was a good idea. Yeah. I think that actor was genuinely afraid of Nick Cage. I think Nick Cage was being dreadfully unprofessional there. In a situation that did not call for that level of intensity. He's like, oh, I'm about to change. You don't want to let the other guy out. He's there. I can feel him. Scratching at the door. And he's Ow. like, sorry. Well, he shrieks. And he's like, he's, it's like he's a uh, smack at it going into insane withdrawal. And it suddenly woke me up and I was shrieking with laughter. And then like he's riding away and screaming, ah, and sort of half turning into the ghost rider. And then the film goes back to sleep again. And for the rest of the film, it just sort of potters on and then it ends. That's it. That was Ghost Rider Spirit of Vengeance. What, the, the, the most lazy, pointless Marvel movie apart from Elektra. Uh, although that one bit is still better than all of Punisher Warzone. Anything else you want to add to about this one? No, I don't think that... It, like I said, there really is nothing to... Not even recommend it. There's nothing to mark it as having existed it's just pointless they don't go into the mythology they don't go into the penance stare they don't really explain it like he, he grabs people and like fries them and like basically it's just Ghost Rider getting into a series of fights but they're very far spaced apart they're boring to watch and it, there's nothing about him being the devil's messenger anymore he's just burning men alive mm. and they're all like henchmen and mercenaries and they're the only people he meets it's like a video game a really crap video game where everyone you meet you have to kill it, it's dull it's very dull and that's it that was it for Ghost Rider Marvel have since reappropriated the Ghost Rider license I would like to think this guy will turn up in one of the Netflix series that's his he's street level 
Those are the kind of criminals that he deals with. We've already said, you know, he could deal with the bigger guys, but no, he deals with the people that date Daredevil and Luke Cage and Iron Fist and uh, Jessica Jones deal with. The studio has no immediate plans to make another Ghost Rider film. And that's it. That was Ghost Rider. Nostalgia Critic pointed out something really important, just in a throwaway comment, about Johnny Whitworth's character, Ray Corrigan, in the, the villain in this. He, he said that uh, he was here to play the Deacon Frost character from every David S. Goyer screenplay. And I'd forgotten that David S. Goyer actually wrote this. Now, Goyer is hugely hugely influential on comic book movies or he has been involved with some world-class superhero movies but he has also steered other movies in really grim terrible directions the crow city of angels he wrote the uh, nick fury agent of shield movie the one with uh, david hasselhoff in it he wrote blade which is you know one of his better works uh, he wrote blade 2 uh, he wrote blade trinity which was Beyond terrible, and significantly, he directed Blade Trinity. So he had full control there. Uh, He wrote Batman Begins, and that was his peak. This was was actually written very much in collaboration with Christopher Nolan. Uh, It was uh, Goya did the story, and uh, Nolan had a lot of influence on the screenplay. Uh, But if we go back, uh, he also wrote Jumper, which is one of the worst superhero movies of all time. So bad, it has in fact been forgotten by history. That's the one with... um, Anakin Skywalker in it, Hayden Christensen, co-wrote the story for The Dark Knight, one of the greatest superhero comic book related movies of all time. Okay, so maybe that was his peak. But then he did the script for uh, Ghost Rider Spirit of Vengeance, and then he did the script for The Dark Knight Rises, and then he did the script for The Man of Steel, and uh, now he's on the uh, script for Batman v Superman Dawn of Justice. And Nostalgia Critic's right, All of those films have a smug, posturing, spiteful man who's villainous for seemingly no reason, megalomaniacal. So I think the twist in Blade Trinity was that that young man was played by Parker Posey. But in Batman Begins, you've got uh, Jonathan Crane is basically that guy. Blade 1, you've got Deacon Frost. Blade 2, I feel like Guillermo del Toro gave some dimension to Nomak, the, uh, uh, the guy played by Luke Goss. But in Man of Steel, Zod is just evil for the sake of evil. Just crazy and genocidal and angry all the time and just full of hate. That's it. Nothing else to him. And in, in uh, Batman vs. Superman, from the outside, Jesse Eisenberg's Lex Luthor is not a million miles away from Deacon Frost in Blade. Just smug and posturing, and maybe I'm wrong. May, I hope I am, because people have said from the previous screenings that Eisenberg is more noteworthy than uh, a lot of the rest of the film. So so maybe, in fact, that Lex Luthor has quite a lot of dimension to him. But keep an eye on him, would you? This is Goya is the guy who said that She-Hulk only exists so that the Hulk has someone around to fuck. Okay, first off, Jesus Christ, I can't believe you said that at like a Comic-Con. That's an awful thing to say. Secondly, Jennifer Walter is Bruce Banner's cousin, you ignorant twit. Thirdly, if you're going to blow that one off as kind of, well, I'm not supposed to expect it to know about Marvel comics. Yeah, you kind of are. If you're going to be writing at your best for a series of comic book adaptations, you kind of need to know what your competitors are doing, and you kind of need to know the history of both studios. It's not a prerequisite, you don't have to know it, 
But if you don't know anything about some one of those characters, keep your mouth shut about them. Especially if it's a female character that you're sort of blowing off and going, blah, blah, in an industry starved of female characters headlining. My God. But this is the guy who dismissed She-Hulk. This is the guy who dismissed uh, Martian Manhunter, John Jones, one of the most interesting characters in the Justice League animated show. Uh, because no one wants to know about some weird green Martian dude. This is this is a it's a it's a genuinely worrying guy to be in the driver's seat or at least one of the driver's seats uh, for the DC cinematic universe because he's going to have a huge influence and his grasp on what makes for a good antagonist is infantile and without guidance he can be a genuinely tedious writer. So, that's David S. Goya. On to Punisher. Can't believe I'm home. And I could ever be so lucky. We're not lucky. We are blessed. All right, everybody, quiet down. This is the first family reunion we've had in five years. To the future! The future. was something my family would never see. My dead family! They thought they murdered me. They were wrong. They were dead wrong. That man must die. Your memories kill you. They can't kill me. I'm already dead. Oh, yes, Drowning Pool. That's my jam, Holmes. Thomas Jane, John Travolta. Make Castle dead. Whatever it takes, whatever it costs. This is not revenge. It's punishment. Remind us to tell you about the My Dead Family trope that we have developed over the past year when we cover Daredevil Season 2. And, frankly, Batman v Superman. Because I feel like it's going to apply. <laughs> frankly. Okay, so The Punisher from 2004, followed very swiftly by... Punisher Warzone from 2007. Uh, let's start with The Punisher, shall we? We're not going to review the uh, um, the original The Punisher from 1989. We're not going to concern ourselves with what Marvel did prior to Blade. But this one was effectively a reboot of the only one that they attempted before, aside from Captain America. Mob hit. Frank is the only one left alive. And my dead family. He puts on a black T-shirt with a skull on it. That I think his kid was like, "Hey, it's like um, a Mardi Gras thing, one of those Skeletor is great parades." And it's like it, the, the skull imbues him with the power to kill people. 
Not literally, it's just a symbol. He, he embarks on a roaring rampage of revenge to try to find the, uh, the, the men who killed his dead family. And um, he kills them. Kills them all. Just like Deadpool, but with no humour at all. And it takes a lot longer. And then he's the Punisher. The end. None shall be pardoned and all punished. Said that guy with the ice lolly. I think he lives. <sighs> See, we've just seen Warzone, so it's really hard to get um, pumped up to talk about the Punisher. Uh, really didn't, like really didn't like Warzone. So, uh, so cast your mind back to the, the Thomas Jane Punisher. What, what's good about it? Okay, uh, what's good about it? Roy Scheider. Yep, he's in it for like six minutes. He is. Um, and... The denizens of the apartment block were quite fun. The, uh, yes. Dave uh, and... Uh, yeah, Rebecca uh, Romaine as uh, Joan and Ben Foster... Yeah, it's Dave. Who usually I don't like, but in this he was uh, he was one of the best things. Yeah, um, the uh, the scene in which he is tortured uh, to try and get him to reveal Frank's location and doesn't actually really affected me, like properly affected me. I mean, I I, I have very negative reactions to um, scenes of torture anyway. But the fact that this was somebody who um, was quite harmless and sweet and was and behaved in a very loyal way uh, to protect somebody else and, and just genuinely did not deserve to have any of that done to him mm. actually left me quite um, shaken, emotionally shaken. Yeah. yeah. Um, which surprised me. I had not expected to be emotionally shaken by anything in The Punisher. Or engaged in any way. No, no. Um, I actually thought Thomas Jane was quite good. I mean, the, by and large, the script was a pile of tosh. And the, there were things that just didn't make sense. Uh, and uh, I, I would have liked to see more of... Uh, Frank reacting to um, his the loss of his family. It seems and, to and jump from the loss of his family to suddenly he's dealing with it and he's going on the hunt. Yeah, I mean, I, I can kind of understand what they were going for, the idea that he basically suppresses all of his emotion over the situation until the end when his job is done. But there's no significant he, scene he where that is apparent. Exactly. You just kind of have to assume it because there's no payoff to the actual killing of his family. That's uh, right. We haven't really talked about the plot. <sighs> Frank Castle is an FBI agent. He gets off the case. He's done his last case. He goes back to his um, wife and child who he's been leaving... Um, to, to do his work for all of these years and he's going to finally get some quality time with them but then the mob uh, led by John Travolta who came out of nowhere like, well, hang on a second first of all don't stick John Travolta in your film if, if the lead character is played by Thomas Jane who is nowhere near as well renowned it appears like they were trying for like a 1989 Batman thing here it's like yeah you know what no one knows Tom Jane but they know John Travolta his um, greatest claim to fame seems to be that he looks a bit like Christopher Lambert. Uh, well, he was in Boogie Nights, which he was great in. He was in Deep Blue Sea, which I like, but even though it's tosh. But um, 
So oh, yeah, that's yeah. That's where I remember him from. Yes. His 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 lovely family are horribly killed um, in a mob hit in Miami. He's not a Vietnam vet anymore because then he'd be in his like sixties or seventies. Yeah, like I say, FBI agent. And so he, rather than going on like a sort of a, a killing spree, he enacts a very um, dedicated. Well, John Travolta hates him because uh, his case led to the death of John Travolta's son. So he enacts a, a, a what would be the word? Like a Count of Monte Cristo, Machiavellian it is. style. It is. It's it's very intricate, like, isn't I it? I will destroy you, John Travolta, with clever framing of your family. So he makes it look like John Travolta's wife is uh, uh, having an affair with John Travolta's... Um, first lieutenant. First lieutenant. And I want to say the name of the character John Travolta played, which is Howard Saint, but he's just John Travolta. Uh, and, uh, yeah, his, uh, his second-in-command is um, Will Patton again. Hey. Um, and, and, yeah, Frank basically spends the latter half of the movie sort of just setting all of these pins up to be knocked down at the end when John Travolta kills his own wife and best friend and then um, Frank turns up, kills everyone and goes ha ha, I tricked you and then sets him on fire and there's a great big flaming Punisher symbol just like the crow just like Daredevil and the end that's the film Oh, in between, while he's um, doing this planning he's living in a crappy apartment building with a bunch of uh, kooky oddball neighbours who kind of invite him in and make him part of their broken family which is touching and unexpected for this and it's not entirely sloppily handled and so when um will Patton comes calling and starts torturing uh, one of them dave yeah you do kind of feel it and then when frank gets into a big fight with a giant guy in like a stripy sailor suit the russian i believe he's he's called in there this is based on uh, garth ennis's welcome back frank uh, miniseries um and the punisher year one uh, that's it. I mean, there's not. What is there to say? That there's there's some violence. It's not the most sickening you're ever going to see. There's a neat little bit of uh, fake torture where he gets a guy, hangs him upside down, tells him he's about to um, burn him with a blowtorch, and that it's going to hurt. It's going to burn so much as he sears the nerve endings off, it'll almost feel cold. And actually, he's jabbing him with a popsicle while burning a steak, which is kind of. Again, unexpectedly funny. And again, there are enough quirky little moments in this to elevate it above the absolute garbage it could have been. Let the bodies hit the bodies. And then it ends on music, which is like... Which kind of steps on that. Exercising my veto, man. It's only nine o'clock. I mean, you sure you want to do that? Mark, listening to this crap is guaranteed to make you sterile. Yeah, maybe I want to be sterile. Samantha Mathis plays his wife, Maria, and I would like to see more of her, but unfortunately she has to die horribly for the Punisher to want to punish people. Again, though, um, we're, we're uh, entering into the territory of uh, comics that and it's really hard to make a judgment on the Punisher comic without also making a judgment on the Punisher fans, which is not something I want to do because it's not fair on real people. Uh, but it's really hard to read comics where super right-wing 
man takes it to the streets and punishes and kills people, especially considering what happened this weekend while we're recording it. I think if I was going to say one overall positive thing about the Punisher, it's that they do at least go for an emotional core to the story. And to a degree, they succeed. A lot of Punisher fans didn't like this, though. They wanted something harder, nastier, and uh, with less heart. And they got it. Well, they friggin' got it, didn't they? In the shape of Punisher Warzone, released in uh, 2008. Uh, so this would have been, uh, let's see, December 2008, after Iron Man, after The Incredible Why Hulk, did they bother? It made $10 million. It cost $35 million. Uh, whether why did they bother or not they shouldn't have in terms of uh, a cash investment this was a bomb it lost 25 million dollars good <laughs> deservedly well so deserved. it means that yeah, no absolutely. more of these are being made right now uh, this isn't like any procedure that we've ever done before well that's why I'm here doc your facial muscles tendons bone structure everything was destroyed. Evil has many faces. You look fantastic, brother. Yes. Darkness has many allies. This deal is going down tonight. Raise your army. But there is only one who punishes them all. This is just the beginning. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Let's play a game. Got to be with you, Frank. Sometimes I'd like to get my hands on God. You're fighting a war. Ray Stevenson takes over uh, and they do the Incredible Hulk thing where they retcon the um, uh, the origin. And, and while it technically follows on from the Punisher, they change the origin so that it's a definite different universe. Um, and it's a grim, grim universe. I, I don't really know what to say. It's, 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 the best way of describing it is it just goes boring, boring, plod, plod, moop, moop. Sickening, horrible violence, sometimes amusingly so. Plod, plod, moop, moop, nothing, nothing. Oh, that bit was actually quite touching. No, no, sickening, horrible violence. Plod, plod, moop, moop. Oh, that, that bit was also quite good. Sickening violence. Bloop, moop, 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 moop. Sickening violence, 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 violence. End. That's the film. If it, if it was just sickening violence the whole way through, it would be like the raid. It would be orgiastic in its intensity. But because it's got so much moop, 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 it's tedious as hell to watch. Now, I'm coming at it from uh, the wrong angle since I don't like watching the best crime thrillers ever made. I don't like watching The Godfather. I did not care for The Godfather. I, the Godfather's brilliant. I will not dispute that. Godfather, Godfather 2, absolutely brilliant. We may even do a podcast on them because they are there is an absolute elegance to that. They are 
fantastically crafted films. But I don't like watching Scorsese. I don't like watching The Wire starring Dominic West, who's in this. I don't like watching Breaking Bad. I don't, I don't like watching The Sopranos. This is the best gangster-related, crime-related fiction on screen, small and big, you could possibly imagine. So this low-rent, absolute shite, I can't stand. My brain goes off. It goes, well, I'm going to take a little holiday while all this stuff is going on. Now, when it cuts back to The Punisher, Ray Stevenson's very serious about the role, and there are times when he sort of, he shot an FBI agent accidentally, and he sort of tries to get involved with the wife so that he can atone for this and apologize and give his widow and daughter some money so to make sure that they're safe, and they get all tied up in the... Um, the, the, the shit that's going down in, in his world and uh, that stuff is the bit that I said oh that bit's quite good but it's so weighed down by all the moop 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 Dominic West plays Jigsaw who gets horribly torn to shreds in a glass crusher and then comes back all I mean they appear to be under the impression they've got Jack Nicholson's Joker on their hands they're like this guy's crazy off the wall and he brings in Tombs from the X-Files, Percy, Doug Hutchinson, Looney Bin Jim, who's just like, you know, he'll chew your kidneys out. And I'm not kidding. He literally chews a guy's kidneys out at one point. And you'd think that would be brilliant and hilarious, but it's just tedious to watch. It's just tedious. And so the violence is just tedious as well because it doesn't matter what's happening. There are occasional moments like when he, he kicks open a door and this guy's inside going, what? And he shoots him with two bullets and the guy's head just explodes. And, and it's just sort of a moment of... <laughs> and then it just carries on. The whole shootout at the end is just like watching somebody plod their way through a Call of Duty deathmatch. Only it's not in first person. You're actually watching Frank kicking down doors and shooting guys. This is exhausting to talk about. Then stop. I want to. Sharon, I mean, this actually made you just like freak. Just gross out and freak out. Yeah, Yeah. I, I, I wouldn't say freak out because there was there was no emotional engagement in the the story or the plot or the people that these things were happening ironically to. one of them the uh, the widow julie benz shield dexter mm. should really have engaged a lot more there should i mm-hmm. yes um also small child close in age to my own daughter yeah should have engaged should there have too. engaged there but, but no. the kid seems to be oblivious to the fact that her mother's holding a gun on the punisher for a good eight minutes at one point i actually found myself thinking and i'm Almost ashamed to admit this. I say eight minutes. It was. It, it. It felt like eight minutes. It was actually only a tiny bit of the film. Oh. Yeah. I actually found myself thinking towards the end when they have uh, uh, mother and daughter tied up in a warehouse while half of um, whatever city is, is it New York? Yeah, it is. It New doesn't York. matter. Um, half the city's crime gangs waiting there to to shred Frank to pieces when he comes in to try and rescue them. Um, part of me was thinking if they actually have these two females, innocent females, I might add, killed, that would at least suggest that they are committing to this apparent total nihilism that they're going for here. Um, That's exhausting. Well, indeed. Um, The the fact that Frank had declared that this was going to be his last job and then he was giving up punishing. um, But if they got killed, it would give him motivation to carry on punishing, which is obviously what we all want to happen. Well, it's hard out Um, there for a punisher. So it would appear. But no, it it didn't. They didn't even have the. 
courage of their own convictions to do that, everybody else, everybody else gets shredded to a bone grinding pulp. Um, but the innocent people are allowed to walk off with Colin Salmon into the sunset. I forgot Colin Salmon was in this. I've seen this twice. Uh, it, it was directed by Lexi Alexander, which is notable because at least it's a female director. But unfortunately, that's a director that probably isn't going to be hired for much more but considering her last film lost $25 million. Well, indeed. I, I, I'm shrugging here. That's... that's I suppose, yes, it's noticeable. Noticeable? It's notable that they were willing to take on a female director for something that was so obviously designed to pander to testosterone mm. overload. I suppose just like uh, Catherine Bigelow, and that is a very kind comparison. She I was directs in a, in a very masculine style. You like, could just argue that. Like, dripping with testosterone and, and just this grim fucking perspective you, you could argue that but Catherine bigelow's good Catherine bigelow has characters yeah. this is produced by gail ann hurd but written by uh three men gail ann I, I honestly don't think this is a uh the the presence of a couple of women in the crew on this it does not well, Gail Ann Hurd is not just one of a couple to. of women. No, she's I know, I understand powerful that. Powerful directors in Hollywood. Producers, not directors. But she's also hasn't she produced like a number of Marvel movies? Uh, she produced The Incredible Hulk, The Punisher, Terminator Three: Rise of the Machines, Hulk. That was it. Terminator Two: Judgment Day, a little film you might remember, and The Terminator and Aliens. Yeah, this is a talented woman. But, you know, she also produced Virus, so... And Aeon Hey, Flux. nobody's perfect. Nobody's perfect. How do we finish this off? I'm glad the Punisher series has finished. I would like to see the Punisher turn up in the Daredevil Netflix series. Now, is that an official wish? Say the magic words. Genie, I wish for the Punisher to be in Daredevil. All right! Yo, yo, woo, woo. Along with Ghost Rider, but uh, you you said, and this is absolutely correct, it's going to be really hard to bring Ghost Rider into the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Yes. Because you're basically confirming the existence of the devil, which also confirms the existence of God, kind of. Yes. I mean, it's, it's even if um, it never actually did so in the comics, it is implied to some degree the existence of the devil suggests some sort of existence of a divine power. Yeah, I mean, there are ways they could do it, um, but... The character's not important enough to make that huge change to the MCU? Indeed. I mean, the the structure of the MCU as it stands at the moment, they have uh, lined it up so that um, gods are, in fact, alien beings. Mm. And uh, magic is, in fact science but from somewhere else and if you introduce uh actual god and actual satan and actual spiritual soul collectors with flaming heads and flamethrower piss um then <laughs> that was an addition to, to the second ghost rider film indeed. you you kind of have to then accommodate that within the 
the the physics structure that you have set up in this universe and that's one of the things that makes me the most frustrated with uh, fantasy type you know sci-fi fantasy films is when they go out of their way to set up a particular physical structure to this universe and then getting inconsistent with it as long as they are consistent with their own rules i'm fine with that but if you bring in something new halfway through just because you wanted to put ghost rider in it then i think i'm gonna have to query best link at the moment is actually doctor strange it's so weird to think that the punisher exists in the same universe as the guardians of the galaxy it's so weird. I mean, in, in the, uh, the actual Marvel 616 universe, there's so much stuff from differing areas. And, you know, you, you, it's like Google Maps. You just keep zooming in and in and in and in and in. From the very, very top, you're looking at the Earth and you keep zooming zooming in. And when you can see the filth on the pavement, you're in Punisher territory. Well, to be fair, I mean, you could say that from a certain perspective, a very privileged perspective, I admit, but from a certain perspective, it is difficult to believe that dysentery and malaria exist in the same world as iPhones. Yeah. We can do this. Why can't we fix that? See, that, that's a good way of compa- comparing them. Guardians of the Galaxy is an iPhone. Punisher, <laughs> Punisher, is Punisher 1 is dysentery. Malaria. Punisher t- uh, Warzone is malaria. Actually, no, Punisher 1 is neither dysentery nor malaria. Punisher 1 is just a sore throat. Punisher Warzone is dysentery and malaria. At the same time. At the same time. (sighs) Okay, while we're at it then, let's do Electra. For centuries, a war has been waged in the shadows by two armies born of incredible powers. And yet, it is said there lives a warrior with the ability to tip the balance between good and evil. And that warrior is Buffy the Vampire Slayer. No, Blade. No, Highlander. No, Selene from Underworld. No, Dante. No, Constantine. No, The Last Witch Hunter. No, The Seventh Son. No, Anakin Skywalker. No, Emmett from the Lego Movie. Do you see now why the Lego Movie was so very much needed to shake this shit up? But first, she must choose. We got ourselves a new offer. Real cool, you want to get the target. I'm Mark Miller. We're in the little cabin. Two houses now. Her name's Electra, Dad. Like the tragedy. Her parents must have had a sense of humor. Not really. Where's her mother? She died a couple of years ago. My mother died when I was young. I'm not gonna do it. We'll just send somebody else here. We have failed to solve the problem. The task is yours. Completed. Why did you really save them, Electra? Some kind of down payment on your sins? She saved my life and my daughter's. That's enough for me. Now, Electra, the time has come for you to decide. They're here. So you really used to kill people. It's what I'm good at. I'm not a good person to get involved with. 
Because we promised this during the Daredevil show, and we never really delivered on this, and uh, we may as well because we're we're doing this this with these whipping boys. The Punisher and Ghost Rider have in common the whole seeing the world in this awful black and white way where people are either guilty and deserve to die, like a mugger at the end of Warzone. Uh, you know, just sort of turns up and goes, yo, yo, man, give me your wallet. And then the Punisher turns up and shoots him in the head because now we're shooting muggers in the head. And actually, um, after this, uh, we, we watched the 10-minute short Dirty Laundry, which is an, un, an unlicensed uh, Punisher fan film starring Thomas Jane as Frank. Uh, it never says the Punisher, but it does show the skull motif at the end. Uh, he's doing his laundry. He sees a kid getting bullied by street hoods who seem like they're about to just basically kill him in the street, goes across the street, talks to Ron Perlman in the liquor store. One of the best scenes in all of the Punisher-related stuff we've seen in the past few days. Uh, Purely for the presence of Ron Perlman. Yeah, because of the, the, the gravitas that guy brings. Uh, and Perlman basically says, you know, you just kind of want to give up and not do anything because he got put in a wheelchair trying to defend a girl on the same street from the same people. And uh, then... He buys a bottle of Jack, goes across the street, and does horrible things to all of these men who all end up dead with a bottle of Jack Daniels. And that's it. That's ten minutes. That may as well have been Warzone. At least it would have been ten minutes long. Yes, very true. I, I, and I've had yeah. Ron Perlman. I kept thinking through that. I, all of these guys that he's beating the living shit out of with this bottle... Bad choices. The lot of them. Do none of them deserve the opportunity to go? You know what? I've fallen in with a bad crowd. I'll exactly. change my ways. I'll join the scouts. Exactly what I was thinking. There was a guy holding a knife, and I thought, okay, right. But all these other guys just standing around who might be experiencing all kinds of emotions, fear, pressure, being trapped in a lifestyle that means that you can't get out of this situation. All of this stuff that The Wire puts across. I can't watch that, but at least The Wire goes out of its way to show that this is not a black and white world. The Punisher does the opposite. It says, fucking kill everyone and save the innocent. If, I think there's a line in Warzone where um, he, he goes into a church and he has a conversation with the priest that suggests that he, at one point, was intending to become a priest himself. Is that part of the actual Punisher story? I don't care. Fair answer. Um, and the priest obviously quotes him um, something saying, judge not lest ye also be judged or something along those lines. And Frank basically says, I'm cool with that. That's and it. sets fire to a posh ex- hammer to make it official. <laughs> That's the extent of the conversation. He is absolutely fine with being judge, jury, and executioner. He's not judge, jury, and executioner. <laughs> to all of these people whose lives, experiences, and situations he cannot possibly understand. Um, it's just you choose the way of crime. They don't deserve punishment. They deserve Gunishment. It's ridiculous. We seem to have veered off Electra. Oh, that's because it's so boring. Why, Punisher Warzone is the second to worst Marvel film for me. My my second least favourite because of those occasional moments where Ray Stevenson has a moment. Those bring it above Electra. Electra is just boring. There's nothing in Electra. It 
just happens and that's it and then it finishes it's the most boring movie with a Marvel character that's ever been made and everyone who has ever seen it will agree except for like one person on my Twitter feed who said I really like Elektra I don't want to get into an argument with him he's entirely entitled to that I'm, I'm, in fact I, I would like someone to tell me why Elektra's any good because they're in a severe minority and I, I sometimes find people in a severe minority able to express themselves in an interesting way that's fascinating if you can actually speak for a lecturer and say i like it because of xyz because i'm watched this film twice and i can't find a thing in it to recommend jennifer garner is easy on the eye that's pretty much it see right for me i i would say the reverse of this and punish a war zone because jennifer garner is easy on the eye and also Electra didn't make me feel physically sick. Okay, so maybe Warzone's worse. Do For me, have, yes. Do you have your worst? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it, you know what? They may as well be at the bot- share in the bottom spot. I hate them both for different reasons. It's, I'm not going to argue in either of their favour. Um, Electra, following on from Daredevil, we think... Uh, Electra Nachios gets brought back to life by the nin- the good ninjas who can bring people back to life and then goes to she gets set up by Terence Stamp to kill a girl who's the treasure and th- is she th- is she the tre- she gets set up by Terence Stamp to kill a girl she decides against killing the girl and then decides to defend the girl and her tedious, dull as onions father um, against the hand, the bad ninjas. And then you find out later that Terence Stamp knew she was going to uh, uh, do that, knew that she was going to decide to protect this girl who, and they've been talking about the treasure, this incredible martial arts prodigy the whole way through. You're like, oh, obviously Electra is this treasure. No, it's this girl. And, you know, the girl lost her mother, so Electra, who also lost her mother, and developed something of an electric complex sort of bonds with her. But it sounds a lot more interesting than I'm saying because most of the time it's just Jennifer Garner in a room or standing on the side of, the, the, of Lake Tahoe, staring out into the distance and thinking and thinking and thinking and staring and thinking and thinking and staring. It's well photographed, I suppose. There's a bit where some like hand ninjas turn up. And bear in mind, this does have an odd relevance to the Wolverine. Some hand ninjas turn up and go, we're the hand ninjas. And like, there's some like special ninjas. Like One of them is typhoid, and she has the power to make people feel sick, physically sick. Kind of like watching the Punisher Warzone. Indeed. <laughs> and there's a bunch of other ones that I don't care about. And that's Electra, folks. Uh, there's a fight between... <sighs> I'm bored. There's a bit where Electra throws her sigh through a maze and it hits Typhoid and kills her before she's able to kill the, the treasure. There's a bit where Typhoid kisses Electra and it's like, wow, girl on girl kiss. How racy. This made $56 million. It cost $43 million. So it actually turned a profit. Yeah, relative to, say, the Punisher Warzone. But yeah, if you did like Elektra or Punisher Warzone or Punisher or Ghost Rider or Ghost Rider the Spirit of Vengeance, let us know in the forum. We won't judge at all. We want to know why these films are good. In the case of Ghost Rider 1, I like it. 
I think as far as I'm concerned, that's the best that Ghost Rider could possibly be. And now we're going to get fans of Ghost Rider going, no, it's not. In which case, tell us how better Ghost Rider could be. Because we these are oddities for us. These are the films at the bottom of the list that we don't actually care that much about. But we kind of want to cover because it's Marvel. I, I, should, I should call it the dregs. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Next to these ones, Daredevil seems like the fucking Dark Knight. Anyway. That was the dregs, folks. Anything else on Electric? Anything, anything good? It was written by Zach Penn, who also wrote the story for X-Men 2, uh, the most of X-Men 3, The Last Stand, some of The Incredible Hulk before it got taken over by various other people, Edward Harrison and Edward Norton, and the story for The Avengers before Joss basically crossed out everything he'd done and wrote a new one. The same Zach Penn who's writing Pacific Rim 2, which has now lost its director, Guillermo del Toro, one of the greatest directors who has ever lived, and gained the showrunner of the Netflix Daredevil as a director. So, that's kind of dropped off my list of uh, must-see sequels to my favourite films of all time. It's important to note that the poor performance of Elektra at the box office and Catwoman, which came out around about the same time, had a serious, debilitating effect on female-led superhero movies from that point onwards. The Joss Whedon Wonder Woman, which was in the works at that point with Warner Brothers, was canned. They cancelled Wonder Woman coming onto the scene at around about the same time as Batman Begins because of this. So really, she makes her big screen debut in a giant Batman film. I mean, Superman's there, but he's dressed as Batman. And Batman's dressed as double Batman. I mean, this is a Batman film aimed at 35-year-old Batman fans. And fuck women, fuck kids. Not literally fuck kids. But that appears to be the marketing ethos. And that's the tone they're going to carry on with. And then eventually, after testing the waters with her there, her other film comes out the year after. Rather than her having her own Thor-style debut and then turning up in an Avengers. They didn't... Warner Brothers still, right now, don't have the faith in Wonder Woman that she can stand on her own until she's been tested in this movie. Now, it's not Electra's fault that Warner Brothers made these ridiculous decisions, but she gets an especial fuck you for this being the excuse that they gave. Let's leave on something a lot more positive, though. Uh, this is the always brilliant... The Idea Channel, talking about Nicolas Cage and his particular brand of organized chaos. Here's an idea. At the intersection of Taoism and YOLO, you'll find Nicolas Cage. On this, the 15-year, two-month, and nine-day anniversary of the theatrical release of Con Air, we thought it was as good a time as any to celebrate Nicolas Cage. Whether he's an Italian bakery owner, an alcoholic screenwriter, a professional car thief, a witch hunter, or a street-tough maverick with nothing to lose, Nicolas Cage sells his roles with arresting conviction. How, in the name of Zeus's butthole, did you get out of your cell? Which must be tough, as both Ben Sanderson and the guy from Drive Angry. <laughs> Most superstar celebrity actors try to appear in exclusively good movies, which advance their careers, but Nick seems to be operating on a different criteria. And what is this criteria? 
This is the mystery of Nick Cage. In a superficial kind of way, much of what Nick does could actually fly under the banner of YOLO. Not cool! YOLO is an acronym that stands for You Only Live Once, and stresses that one's time on Earth is but a fleeting occurrence. And so, why not take advantage of your luck by doing something irresponsible or possibly dangerous. You can apply YOLO to many things, like eating a box of Oreos, going bungee jumping, or like Nick does, choosing movie roles. He chooses roles which allow him to just go for it, an approach he has called a modern art style of performance, or acting outside the box, or even nouveau shamanic. Nick also approaches his real life with the same devil-may-care YOLO attitude that he does his roles. Cage once bought a $25,000 octopus. YOLO. He named his son Kal-El after Superman. YOLO. He outbid Leonardo DiCaprio on a quarter of a million dollar dinosaur skull. YOLO. You get the idea. Also, I really want to stop shouting YOLO. Incidentally, none of this seems fluky. Good movies, bad movies, solid decisions, questionable life choices. They all seem to jive. I wonder, is there something deeper than YOLO going on here? I mean, in practice, YOLO is just something that teenagers shout before they throw sandwiches. What Nick does seems to be something other than YOLO's frivolous, surface-level carpe diem. Something like a guiding principle, or a Tao of Nick Cage. And if there were a Tao of Nick Cage, it would probably resemble that of Zhuang Tzu pretty closely. Zhuang Tzu was not your garden variety 4th century BCE Chinese philosopher. I mean, yeah, he communed with nature, but he also might have been the first anarchist and had conversations with skulls about how death might not actually be that bad. Translator Martin Palmer describes him as being fed by shamanism. He uses humor, shock tactics, silly names, the weirdest characters, and totally unbelievable scenarios to make us look again at what we hold true. In his self-titled philosophical work, Master Chuang argues that the world contains infinite information and experience. But as humans, we only have a finite amount of time to learn or act, which makes planning your life or weighing your options an exercise in futility. Master Chuang wrote that the perfect man is pure in spirit. Such a person rides the clouds and mounts upon the sun and moon and wanders across and beyond the four seas. Neither death nor life concern him, nor is he interested in what is good or bad. Sound familiar? Zhuang Tzu's philosophy is definitely the Tao of YOLO, and maybe the Tao of Nick Cage, for whom the absurdity and excitement of experience trumps all other methods of choosing roles, or home furnishings. But all this might warrant some comparisons. I mean, Nick Cage isn't the only weird actor. Really, what about Tom Cruise, or Britney Spears, or... Carrot Top. We don't celebrate their weird badness in the way we do cages. We point and laugh and cringe. Maybe the explanation is that Nick Cage seems genuine in everything he does. Whereas Britney's head shaving episode really felt like a weird, sad cry for attention and everything Tom Cruise does feels like it's calculated and planned. People might love Nicolas Cage for the same reason they love Lady Gaga, Ryan Gosling, or Christopher Walken. They seem to have a discipline or a path, something that's identifiable but ineffable. Which makes a lot of sense, because all of the great masters said the Tao which can be talked about is not the Tao. So, we'll just leave it at that. That's a beast! One of the uh, the third track on the soundtrack is called Everything is Wrong by the Donners. I'm going to play that now because it pretty much applies to everything in all of these movies and I like the Donners. I've been Lancashire. I've been Sharon Shaw. And School's Out. School's out.